are listening to Graceway's weekly message podcast. We hope that this message encourages you to know and enjoy God, find friends, discover your purpose, and make a difference in your community. Enjoy the message. This past week, my wife and I were with our Bible translation partner, The Seed Company in South Carolina. So if you're new to Bible translation, let me kind of quantify this for you. Uh, in English, depending on how you determine a version versus a revision versus a paraphrase, we have uh, just over 50 translations of the Bible into the English language. 50. Five zero. 50. We have so many versions of the Bible, we argue about which version of the Bible is legit and which version of the Bible isn't. We, we, we split churches over how many versions of the Bible we have. Did you know that 1,636 languages do not have a single solitary verse of the Bible in their heart language? Have never heard in a language that they understand, for God so loved the world, they give His only begotten Son. Have never heard that you have a good shepherd who walks you through the valley of the shadow of death creates a table in the presence of your enemies. Have never heard God works everything together for your good, especially if you're called according to his purpose. Have never heard some of those verses that you assume, because you have 50 different ways to read it. 50. 50. 50. Yes, thank you. And so we're living in this time right now of the greatest Bible translation acceleration in the last 20 centuries. It's going faster, it's going quicker, it's becoming easier and easier, and our partner has a vision to begin a Bible translation in every language, that's 6,909 languages, by 2025. 2025, it's an incredible, incredible vision. And their vision is to complete a translation of the Bible in every language, 6,909, 6,909, yeah, by 2033. Now think about this for a second. I, I really believe that, that the Bible being translated into every language is a part of the Great Commission. I think that the completion of that work may put us significantly closer to the return of Jesus Christ. I, I really believe that. And I'm telling you that we are the church in this time, in this place, this is the generation that could get the job done. They could get the Bible into every language. And so we are committed to this as a church. When we talk about missions here at Graceway, we're really talking about three significant things. We're talking about church planning and church strengthening in unreached people group regions. It's known as the 1040 window. It's really the last frontier of gospel ministry, I believe, before Jesus comes back. It's in some of these scary places that you see on the news where the gospel has not been present and where it is spiritually dead and dark. We're involved in those kind of places. Secondly, we're involved in human trafficking because we believe that God created everybody with purpose and beauty, that he has a vision for their life, that his image is upon them. And one of the most violent atrocities against that premise is human trafficking. And the church cannot. Are you all with me today? You ain't going to make me do this by myself, are you? Okay, if you agree with me, say amen. Okay? The church cannot sit on its hands when it comes to human trafficking. And so we have a partner. I introduced you to them at the end of last year. We're excited about that. And the third is Bible translation because we're going to put Graceway's name on that wall. I ain't standing before Jesus knowing that we were this close to being a part of that ministry and us not being a part of it. And so thanks to your generosity, some of you are connected to the legacy team here at Graceway. Last week I was able to commit $86,000 to finish the 
the uh, second phase of the project that we're involved in. Come on, you can say amen to that. $86,000. Right now, we are uh, doing our fifth translation as a church. It's the Pidesh translation. It's a cluster of languages for several people groups in the Middle East that have never had it before. And Graceway, listen, this is the fifth time that we have been able to get a Bible into hands that would otherwise not have it. Your generosity does that. Yeah. And so when I say I want you to take the generosity jump, do understand, do understand, I'm not talking about you paying for our light bill. I'm not. I'm, I'm talking about you seeing people come out of sex trafficking. I'm talking about you seeing the Bible translated into languages that don't have it. I'm, I'm talking about you, you coming alongside pastors in places like Iraq and Iran and Armenia and India and starting and strengthening churches. That's what your money goes to, okay? And so I'd ask you just to pray about that, ask you to take that jump, and let's see what God might do with us and through us together. Awesome. Okay. All right. Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 10. I'm going to read it, then I'm going to pray, and y'all are going to say amen lots of times in this message, because I promise I'm going to preach 87% better than y'all responding so far. Okay? Are you with me? Okay. Acts 10 and verse 1. Here we go. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius. He was a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort, a devout man who feared God with all his household and gave alms generously to the people and prayed continually to God. So he's, he is a centurion. He's Italian. He loves God. He's Italian. Does that make him a Jew or a Gentile? It makes him a Gentile, okay? So this Gentile, at the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come to him and say, Cornelius. And he stared at him in terror and said, what is it, Lord? And he said, your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. Now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon, who is called Peter. He is lodging with one Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had departed, he called two of his servants and a devout soldier from among those who attended him. And having related everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. And the next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. And he became hungry, and he wanted something to eat. But while he was preparing it, he fell into a trance, and he saw the heavens open and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth, in it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him saying, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter, because he's got a thick skull and a big mouth, said, By no means, Lord. He's arguing with God, y'all. Don't act like you've never done it. Come on, say amen. <laughs> For I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him a second time. What God has made clean, do not call common. This happened, and the thing was taken up at once to heaven. The remainder of the text goes that the men of Cornelius come, they gather Peter, they go back to see Cornelius. Peter is trying to get his bearings, trying to understand what's going on. He decides he's going to give Cornelius the gospel. In Acts chapter 10 and verse 44, it says this, while Peter was still saying these things, in other words, he's mid-sentence. He hasn't even gotten to the punchline. The Holy Spirit fell upon all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the dirty Gentiles. 
And they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, Can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to remain for some days. Let's pray. God, we love you today. God, I thank you for the work that you're doing all over the world. God, I thank you for the seed company, for Bible translation. God, I pray for the people affected by the PDS translation. I thank you for the generosity that has already occurred from this church. And I pray, God, that you would, you would anoint our minds as we make decisions about our commitment, whether it be on the dream team, whether it be in small groups, whether it be through missions, to be a part of what you're doing. God, I thank you that I just read your word and that everybody in this room understood. God, I thank you that you have blessed us, privileged us with so many translations of the Bible, that the gospel is accessible to us. And I pray, God, for those who do not yet have your word in their heart language, God, that you would deliver to them, that people would be saved, that churches would be planted, that communities would be changed. We ask you now that your Holy Spirit would use your word in a powerful way, that you would speak to us, that you would bless us, challenge us, let it be for your glory and our joy. We love you and we pray these things in the name of Jesus and all God's people said, have you ever thought that you knew what God was doing? Like you were sure, right? Only to experience him zig when you thought he should zag. Have you ever had a time where you're like, yeah, yeah, God's going to ask me to do this, and he never asked, or God would never ask me for this, and he asked twice? Have you ever realized that even though we prefer this sense of safety that comes with this facade of control, that really placing your faith in the God of the Bible is about following? And following is hard, isn't it? Following is hard, but it's not always easy. Following can feel uncertain, and following can feel unsafe. So we're at a time in the early church where the early church is rocking. I mean, things are, things are blowing up. The Holy Spirit has come upon the church in Acts chapter 2. People are getting saved every single day. People are being healed. Miracles are occurring. Visions are being had. Last week, Pastor Todd talked about Saul, who became the Apostle Paul and is the spiritual father for all non-Jewish churches. This is what God is doing. It's an incredible thing. And if I'm Peter, I'm like, this is awesome, right? This is everything that I hoped that it would be and more. And let's just keep it rolling, God. Let's just, let's just keep doing this, more of this, more of this, more of this, more of this. And God's like, nah, no, I'm not, I, I'm not following you, Peter. You're following me. And I have some things that I, uh, I, I, have, I have some wrenches that I'm going to throw in your plan, Pete. And here's why. Because throughout the Old Testament, God repeatedly instructs the nation of Israel to be separate from the world. If you have ever studied the Old Testament, even just a cursory reading of the Old Testament, you see this again and again and again in places like Leviticus 20 and 1 Kings 8 and Deuteronomy 7. It says things like, but I have said to you, you shall inherit their land and I will give it to you for a possession, a land flowing with milk and honey. I am the Lord your God who has separated you from the peoples. God says this again and again and again. And if you're raised in a Jewish home, you get the memo. We're special. We're unique. We're sanctified. We're set apart from the world and to God. And as you read through the law, you see many times where God gives instructions to the nation of Israel that makes it easier for them to be distinct. A lot of dietary restrictions. And you all know how this works, right? 
You're trying to go to somebody for some fried chicken and some burnt ends, and they're like, no, 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 I'm keto. <laughs> no, I'm gluten-free, I'm dairy-free, I'm sugar-free, I'm taste-free, right? I'm taste-free. <laughs> I don't want to taste my food. I'm only drinking oat milk, I'm drinking almond milk, I'm drinking soy milk, I'm drinking non-milk, I'm, drink, like, I'm drinking air that looks like milk. Like, I don't get it, I don't know. But you know that it complicates when you're trying to hang out with people, right? That was the point. That was the point of the dietary restrictions. It was so that the people of Israel would be able to be separate. And the, the nation of Israel took this as a point of pride. We're God's chosen people. We're the ones God's picked. We're special. We're unique. And whenever Jesus comes to the earth, they expect him to fan this idea into flame, right? They expect him to release them from the oppression and the occupation of Rome so they can reassert themselves in prominence over the Holy Land. You see it when you read through the disciples, and they're like, when, when are you going to start your kingdom, right? When? When do we get thrones, when do we get to be in charge? When do we get to be special? When do we get to be unique? And in a kind of a darker way, you see the most separate Jews, their names were the Pharisees, and they are confused whenever Jesus doesn't celebrate their separation, doesn't look at all of their discipline and all of their rigor and say, you guys, you guys are killing it. In fact, he crushes them. He criticizes them. He calls them whited sepulchers full of dead men's bones. Hello. And then from a human standpoint, Jesus goes a little bit too far because all those separated Jews decide that they want to separate him from his body. You know what I'm saying? And they partner, the separated religious Jews partner with pagan Rome to execute the Messiah. And they hang him on a cross, but they can't keep him on the cross. Three days later, he raises again. He defeats sin and death. He gathers his disciples to himself and over the next 40 days, he trains them, and he says things like this in Matthew 28. I want you to make disciples of, and they're like, all the Jewish people. And he's like, nations, all nations. All nations? We're trying to get away from them. We're trying to stay apart from them. We're trying to be separate of them. That's why, that's why, I can't be having un, that's why I've been having tasteless, unleavened bread for all my life. What are you, what, what are you talking about? All nations. He goes on in Acts chapter 8. He says, you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem. And they're like, finally, Jerusalem, where all the Jews are. He's like, and Judea, some Jews, and Samaria. Samaria? Has Jesus been drinking? Like, what? What do you mean Samaria? There's like half Jews and half Gentiles hanging out there. And Jesus goes on. He says, I want you to go to the ends of the earth. I want you, I want you to tell everybody that they're unique. I want you to tell everybody that they're special. I want you to tell everybody that I have plans and purposes for their life. And this would have been a complete mind-bending experience for the Jews. At Pentecost, the Holy Spirit comes down and he initiates, in a sense, the first worship service of the Spirit-empowered, Spirit-filled New Testament church. And if you read through it, you see that that service was multilingual and that its audience was multicultural. And the Jews have this experience. They say, that was, that was awesome. And they go back to Jerusalem and they plant a primarily Jewish church. And it's working. It's going great. Lots of people are coming to faith. Lots of people from different perspectives. But in Acts chapter 10, God shows up to Peter and he's like, you're still not getting the vision, man. You're still not getting the idea that I have for the nations. And so in order for you to get the vision, I'm going to give you a vision. 
And he reveals to Peter that he's ushering the world under a new covenant. Not a covenant of law, but a covenant of grace. Bought and paid for by the blood of Jesus Christ. And God shows him a giant sheet with all kinds of animals. And he says, go on, grill them. Barbecue them, right? Put a little salt and pepper on them. Put them in your mouth, Pete. Now this should have been, this is the most important culinary day of Peter's life. He can have ribs now. I mean, if you're from Kansas City, you know, this brother can have ribs now. He can have bacon. I mean, bacon will change your life if it's cooked right. He can have shrimp. He can have shrimp boil. This brother ain't never had a shrimp boil. He ain't never had ribs. He ain't never had burnt ends. He ain't never had bacon. And God's like, go on, have it all. And Peter, because he's stupid, argues. Just take the bacon and put it in your dumb mouth. Right? That's what he should have done. Hey, cool, fair enough. I'm ready. Peter starts to argue with God, and because that's who Peter is, and because God is who God is, God claps back, right? And he says, don't call what I've made common. Don't call what I've made unclean. And we begin to see that this vision really isn't about food. It's really about how God thinks about, talks about what he believes about what he has made. You see, for Peter, food has kept him separate from anybody who's not Jewish. And God is saying in this vision, I'm sending you to people who aren't Jewish. I'm sending you to people who don't eat what you eat, think what you think, dress how you dress, vote how you vote, live where you live, talk how you talk, understand what you understand. Go on, eat it. Eat it. You see, we're like, we're like Peter. We, we specialize in being aware of and making others aware of their otherness. You want me to prove it to you? Okay, here we go. How many of y'all are from Missouri? Missouri, am I right? Not Kansas. <laughs> Not Kansas. <laughs> you ain't even got a professional football team. Y'all are like the Jayhawks. You're not going to go 0 and 11 this year. We're no, they're terrible. Am I right? Kansas. Yeah. I mean, what even is a Jayhawk? What is it? Does anybody know? Rock, chalk, it's confusing. Missouri is what I'm talking about. Okay? How many Chiefs fans we got? Yeah, 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 yeah. Not Raiders. Not the, not the, the Raiders. Not the Broncos, who are so bad they made Russell Wilson be terrible, right? Like, the, the Raiders. Y'all can't even get a city to keep you. That's how bad you are. Like, is it Los Angeles? Is it Las Vegas? Is it Oakland? I don't know. Next thing, it's Des Moines, the Des Moines Raiders. I don't know. Am I right? How many, how many city folks we got? Yeah, man, I'm from city. I'm from the country. I ain't no country bumpkin, right? I don't listen to, I don't listen to music that y'all call country music. Just noise? No, city, where the food is, where the culture is, where the people are. I ain't trying to live in the grass, right? Yeah. How about this, Royals? Roy, Royals? Yeah, yeah. This is what I love about Royals. Royals are like cardinals, even though y'all keep winning rings. <laughs> Royals. In my house, it's the Buckeyes. I'm not trying to, I don't want to hear about Michigan. Michigan's going to be competitive this year. Not in the Dunhouse thing. Okay? Listen, we have 
almost no descriptor that doesn't create otherness. We, we, do it, we do it economically. We do it politically. We do it racially. We do it religiously. We do it in the church. You, you ready for it? Oh, you're a Presbyterian. Huh. Presbyterian. <laughs> I'm Baptist. Yeah? Methodist, Presbyterian, <laughs> Lutheran. Am I right? Yeah. This is what we do. This is, this is, this is what, that, what we do. It's all downhill. That was my favorite part of the message, just that. It's all downhill from here. All right. You know, we love to feel included, even if it makes other people feel excluded. And Peter is hearing from God, God saying, I'm not going to exclude anyone. I'm not going to, I'm not, the, the gospel isn't just for one people group. It isn't just for one place. And, and my people aren't going to be wall builders. They're going to be bridge builders. And Pete, I'm starting with you. I'm starting with you, Pete. And so I need you to change the way that you think about others. Hey, Graceway, if you're going to be a part of what God's doing in the world, you've got to change the way you think about others. And you got to change the way you think about how God works. And I promise you, the way you think about it is too small. It's too small. The way you think about what God thinks and how God works is nowhere near as big as how God actually works and how God actually thinks. That's why God says, your thoughts down here. My thoughts are higher than the heavens. In other words, just look up. That's how much higher my thoughts, my ways, my plans are. So I want to give you three things today. Three things that are bigger than you think that they are. Are you ready? Number one, God's grace is bigger than you think. God's grace is bigger than you think. You think about Peter and, and you know, Peter gets a vision from God. Right? Like, Peter puts a hot dog in the microwave, and he falls into a trance like all men do when they put anything in the microwave. Right? And he has a vision from God. He has, a, he has a vision from God, and, and, and I'm just, I just want to help you as a pastor. If you get a vision from God, don't argue. Just do it. So Peter gets this vision, and he's hesitant to accept the vision from God, and the question is why? What is it that's holding Peter up? And I think there's lots of reasons, but I think the biggest one is this big church word, holiness. God's holiness and Peter's holiness. I think that's Peter's hang-up. You know, Peter probably felt like he needed to stay true to the separation that God had commanded, to uphold the laws that exemplified the holiness of God. I mean, God's holiness needs to be protected, right? 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 Like, is that our job, to protect the holiness of God? I don't know. Maybe, maybe. You know, and I think that Peter is probably thinking about how hard it had been for him to keep all the rules. And how much his identity, don't miss this, was wrapped up in his obedience. You know, Peter probably thought that holiness and grace were opposites. In fact, I find that grace is the hardest for the rule keepers. You ever notice this? You know, rules make it clear, don't they? Rules make it clear who's right and who's wrong, who's in and who's out, who's the insiders, who's the outsiders, who's the good Christians, who's the bad Christians. Who's the right team, the wrong team? The right politics, the wrong politics. The right part of the country, the wrong part of the country. Rules make it easy. Rules make it clear. They're easy to understand. Rules make it comfortable, especially if you're trying to keep them. They make us feel included. Like, I'm trying to keep the rules. Are you trying to keep? You're trying to keep the rules too. We, we're, we're both trying to keep the rules. This is awesome. 
And grace, grace is squishy, man. Grace is, grace is confusing. Grace is complicated. Like, how much grace, right? Like, is there something that you can do that, ah, sorry, bro, that's like past the grace. Like, grace was to here, and then you went here, and then does everybody get grace no matter what you do? Like, the murderers, serial killers, you know, who doesn't get grace? It's, I don't know. I don't know. It's squishy. It's complicated. And here's the thing. Honestly, grace is way too easy. Like, some of y'all for sure don't deserve any grace. You know what I'm saying? Like, you're, you're for real messed up. You're for real, for real messed up. And those of us who, are, who have been trying to keep the rules for all this time are a little offended that you get into the same rooms that I get in when it comes to God when I'm trying and you haven't been trying. And I've been here for 30 years and you just got here. <laughs> I think that Peter's probably having a hard time with the quick shift, right? He's probably uh, thinking about how many rules he's kept and how many rules everybody he knows has kept. And how could God change them so quick and everyone, everyone get invited in into the gospel? Everyone? It's like for real. Everybody gets an invitation? I don't know. You know, Romans chapter 5 says this. Now the law came in to increase the trespass. But where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. You know the economy of bad stuff, sins, breaking the law in the Bible? Like, here it is, and grace is always here. You say, but yeah, then they did more. Yep, grace goes here. Yeah, but there, there. If I had something to stand on, I could just keep. God says, no matter how much sin there is, I get more grace. No matter how, how much you messed up, how many times you did it, how much you broke, whose heart you broke, the struggles that you have, the addictions that you have, the, the, the mess that you've made. You say, I got a lot of sin. Yep, God's got a lot of grace. God's got a lot of grace. And sometimes I feel like I can out the grace of God, and Paul says you can't. You can't out, you can't out the grace of God. And if you're a follower of Jesus, you're included in this. You know this, right? You know this. You know that the longer you walk with God, the more broken you know that you are. Like, seriously, I, I celebrated my spiritual birthday October 18th, just a, a couple weeks ago. I've been walking with God now for almost 30 years, and I, I know more clearly than ever how messed up I am. I, it's so frustrating. Like the stuff that I don't want to do, I do. The stuff that I know I should do, I don't actually want to do, right? The stuff I know I shouldn't say, I, I, I say, you know, the stuff I, that like, and I'm not even talking about my desires, like the things that I actually want to do. Like, it's, it's, it's a mess in here. It really just, it's a mess. And the longer I walk with God, the more clear I am of how much grace it took to save me. If you're a follower of Jesus, you know this. But can I tell you, that news, as fantastic as it is, it isn't just for you. It's not just for you. Grace isn't just for you. It's bigger than you think. Grace is for everyone around you. And you know, something dangerous happens when we celebrate grace and we receive grace and we say, isn't it great that God gave me grace, but we never give grace? You see, whenever I receive it, but I don't give it, I tend to forget how much I've been forgiven of. 
And this is why a lot of Christians who are farther away from their date of salvation, they've been walking with God a long time, but they're struggling with gratitude and joy because they don't remember how much they were saved from. They don't remember how much grace they had to get from God to get them to the place that they are. And they think that they got their way there because they just decided to walk that way, not knowing that they were lame and blind and broken and dead and that God made them alive. And he was the one who actually walked them all that way. It's a dangerous thing. It's a dangerous thing when we forget how much great, when we shrink grace because our perspectives and our attitudes become about us, the rule-keeping, grace-receivings, and them, everybody else. And we protect and promote the holiness of God like it's our job, like God needs our help to protect his holiness, especially against all those sinners out there. Let's make sure everybody knows how holy God is. It's our job to tell him. It's our job. We argue with God. No, 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 God. We would never break those rules. Just, just let them know what all the rules are like, that we've been trying to keep. And we create an insulated community that's very difficult for new people to break into. Us four no more. Us 40 no more. Us 400 no more. Us 4,000 no more. The idea is there's some distinct rules and distinct lines of how you get into this family. And if you're not going to keep the rules, you're out. And I'm definitely in. I can, I can picture Peter arguing with God. We don't get the, the whole transcript of it, and I think that's to Peter's benefit. But I can imagine God saying to Peter, Pete, do you remember all the stuff that I had to be gracious to you for? Hey, hey Gabriel, <coughs> hold my drink for a second. Pete, do you remember when you denied me three times and the third time was to a little girl? You remember that, Pete, right? Like, it's odd to me that now I've had to tell you three more times after you denied me three times, but Pete, do you remember when you thought that I was dead and you went back to fishing and I had to come and pick you back up from your new fishing job, which was your old fishing job because you forgot and didn't believe me that I was going to resurrect from the dead? Pete, do you, you do know, Pete, that even with the profound amount of stupid things that you say, that I actually know the things that you actually think, which are far worse than the things that come out of your mouth, unbelievably. Like, I know everything, and I still am surprised by the things that you conjure up in your mind from time to time, Pete. Do you want me to go on, Peter, with the amount of time? And what I need you to understand is that as excited as I was to show you grace all the times that you needed, I'm just as excited to show them grace. I'm just as excited to save them as I was excited to save you. I'm just as excited to help them know how much I love them, how unconditional my love for them, how deep and wide and tall and, and, and profound my grace is, that they can never out my grace. All the things that you now take for granted because you've known it for almost 30 years, I'm so excited for them to know what you assume. I'm so excited to give them grace for how wrong they are, just like I'm excited right now to show you grace for how right you think you are. Do remember in Luke 15 that it was the older brother in all his rightness who was ostracized from the father at the end of the story. It was the right one who was out, and it was the wrong one who was in. And the thing that I need you to understand is that 
God chose a delivery system for his grace. The church. You're the delivery system. They don't know until you show them. So don't shrink it and don't change it and don't repackage it and don't move the goal line. Grace was free to you and unconditional to you. It was then, it continues to be, and will continue into eternity. Don't put a price tag on it for somebody else. Number two, God's plan is bigger than you think. Number one, God's grace. Number two, God's plan is bigger than you think. Peter would have been really clear on God's plan for Israel. God's plan for Israel. Like, I, no, I get that. I'm, I'm clear. He couldn't envision a plan bigger than Israel. You know, there's a verse in Romans chapter 8 that if you've been around church for any length of time, um, you've seen it on a coffee cup or on a t-shirt, Romans 8, 28, for we know that for those who love God, what's next to word? All things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. Now don't, don't read over that. How many things is all things? See, they did that in the first service. Just repeated back to me my question, which isn't my question. How many things is all things? All things, like all the good things. God's working together for my good, right? Like my wedding day and the birth of my kids and the day that God saved me and the good memories and the sweet relationships and the times that God showed up and did incredible things. God's working those together for me. Yeah, yeah, I get that. How about the tragedies? How about the brokenness? How about the despair? How about the addiction? How about the... How about the depression? How about the divorce? How about the bankruptcy? How about the death in the family? How about the things that you think God's literally trying to kill me right now? And God says, I work, how many things? All things together. And when I read that, if I'm honest with you, I read that as being for me. God works all my stuff together for my good. That's not what it says, is it? That's not, what it, that's not what it says. It says, for those who are called according to his purpose. How many people is that? How many people does God have a purpose for their life? How many people is God trying to, yeah, oh, we get very individualistic about this, but this isn't just for you, you shrunk it. This is for, this is for everyone. And when you understand that this all things is how God works, it puts you in tune with God's spirit, it helps you understand that my purpose and his purpose can also intersect your life and your purpose. How do I know? Because God brought a vision to Peter while he was being, bringing a vision to Cornelius. And the vision for Peter was to go see Cornelius, and the vision for Cornelius was to go see Peter. And Peter had an experience and a belief system that God had to rock, and Cornelius had a faith that was that was good, but not quite good enough, and he needed to be intersected with Peter, and so God had a plan for Peter and a plan for Cornelius individually, and then he intersected them, and Peter's plan and Cornelius' plans was God's plan for one another. Now, something dangerous happens when I shrink God's plans, because I always tend to shrink God's plans to the size of my comfort and preference. Don't you? I always shrink it to that size. And I always think about God's plan for my life. 
Just Google God's plan for your life and see how many <laughs> things come up, right? I want to know God's plan for my life. Do you know how many books there are written on God's plan for their life? See, we don't think about that. We shrink it. And we make God's plan about you and your life and your relationship with God. And God says, I got plans for your life, but my plans for your life happen to benefit my plans for their life. You will not see a single person this week that God does not have grace for. And you will not see a single person this week that God does not have a plan for. And you know this if you're a follower of God. You know God has plans. If you're a part of this church, you hear this all the time. I want you to know and enjoy God. Find friends. Discover your so you can make a difference. You know this. You know the Bible verse that I just referenced. You know the theology and the philosophy and the doctrine that undergirds it, and you still struggle with it. But let's also just be clear. You know, and it's for you, but it's not just for you, because they don't know. They don't know that God has a plans for their life. They don't know that God loves them. They don't know that God is working everything together to draw them into relationship for. They don't know that they can't out the grace of God. They don't know. And how are they going to know if nobody tells them? And who's supposed to tell them? You and me, which is why the enemy wants you to shrink the plan so you think it's just for you. This is what happened with Peter. Peter's like, no, Lord, this is just for us. Grace for the Jews. Plans for the Jews. And God says, you misunderstand. I, I redeemed and sanctified the Jews so I could save the nations. Number three, God's family is bigger than you think. God's family, God's grace, God's plan, and God's family. I want you to think about heaven. Just think about it. Who's there? Who's there? Have you heard this one before? Guy dies, he goes to heaven. Peter meets him at the pearly gates. Not theologically accurate, just hang with me. Peter meets him at the gates. Hey, man, we've been expecting you. Glad to meet you. My name's Peter. Introduces himself, and Peter says, would you like me to give you, give you a tour? Gets him into a golf cart with gold rims on it. <laughs> Driving around, listening to, I don't know, probably Michael W. Smith or something like that. Gaither Band, Taylor Swift, I don't know, whatever. <laughs> and they're driving around, and, and Peter's like, yep, there's you know, that mansion, and this, this, and, uh, and there's that guy. and That dude's in heaven? Yep, yeah, I know, it's kind of crazy. Grace, what can I say? <laughs> and they drive by these different rooms, and, and they drive by this first room, and the, the title on the door is the Presbyterians, and they're in there, and they're reading their Bible, and they're going through their catechism, and they're taking communion together, and it's real quiet and austere, and the couple of them have robes on, and you know, the others have suit and ties on, and it's just, it's chill. Oh, that's, that's nice, Presbyterians, right? And they go by another room, and, and uh, it's loud, like music's coming out, and people like, are running out of the door, and he looks in the room, people are like taking laps and waving flags, right, and blowing horns and saying weird stuff and falling on the ground and all this kind of deal, and at the top of that door is the charismatics, right? He's like, wow, that looks like fun. Yeah, yeah, no, they're fun, just, you know, just be careful you don't get run over. And uh, goes by another room, and it's the Baptist, and it, and it, it says, please be quiet on the door. <laughs> he says, the Baptist, I went, I went to a couple of Baptist churches Growing up, why, uh, why is there a please be quiet sign on the door? And Peter says, oh, they think they're the only ones up here. 
Just give it a second. Give it a second. Peter's heaven had limited seating. And, and I just want to say to you, there's going to be people in heaven that are going to blow your mind. There, there's going to be people in heaven that you're like, no way. You? you you're up here? There's going to be people who believe different things than you, who think about things different than you, who dress different than you, who look different than you, who talk different than you, who, who just love Jesus and believe the Bible and just shows up a little bit different. It's not exactly how you prefer, but God says, yeah, the, my family's bigger. You know, in the States, y'all shrunk it all down to like different denominations. And I mean, I get it. It's cool. It just isn't a representation of my family. It's like, a, it's like a twig off of a branch somewhere out there. It's one of the things that I love about this church. Our history is Baptist. But right now, there's all kinds of people. All kinds of people. And by God's grace, more kinds of people in the future. You say, well, then how are we going to know who's right? <laughs> We're going to have to follow. We're going to have to listen. We're going to have to trust that God cares more about the holiness of his church than you and I do. Come on, somebody. Yeah. So listen, listen to the Apostle John in the book of Revelation as he describes what heaven is like. Are you ready? And after this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that, that no one could number, from every nation, from all the tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying with a loud voice, salvation belongs to the Lord our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power might be to our God forever and ever. Come on, somebody. Amen. Yeah. And if you're a follower of Jesus, you know that you're there. You know that this is your future. You know that your security is wrapped up in the blood of Jesus and his application of the Holy Spirit over your life, who keeps you redeemed until you are entering into glory. You know this. What an incredible thing it will be for us to all be there together, shocked at who's there, right? You're included in this, but this news isn't only for you. You know, on that day, you will know how big God's grace is. We all will. Nobody will be under the illusion that they earn getting to heaven. No, nobody will be walking around with all their versions of the Bible and their good deeds and their suit and tie and saying, isn't it great that I was such a good Christian? Nobody. Nobody. In fact, the ones who think they earned it You finish the sentence. N nobody will feel worthy. We will all be looking at Jesus. We, we will all be bowing down before Jesus. We will all be singing to Jesus. And even though I'm surprised that that guy's here, I get it. Because I'm surprised I'm here. And on that day, you will know how big God's plan was. 
Because all of those people in innumerable amounts sitting in the context of God having redeemed and restored all things. Every tear wiped away. Every injustice addressed. Every corruption dealt with. Every sin forgiven. I can't even imagine. I can't imagine what it would be like to be in a room knowing that I don't deserve to be there that's entirely pure, entirely holy, and entirely welcoming. And on that day, we will see how big God's family actually is. Every tongue, tribe, and nation from all time and place. No one people group, the majority. All different languages, all making one sound. Gratitude. Worship. And you know this. You know that this is your future if you're a follower of Jesus. You know that this is a reality to come. You know that God's grace is big. You know that God's plan is big. You know that God's family is big. And that one day it will be our reality. One day it will be true, but you're invited right now. You're invited right now. This will happen. But you're invited right now. And I want to invite you right now. I want to invite you to receive the grace of God right now. I want to invite you to receive God's plan in your life right now. I want to invite you to become a part of the family of God. I want you to close your eyes. If that's not you, I want you to pray this prayer with me. It's six easy words. Number one, God, I know. God, I know that I haven't been forgiven. I know that I haven't received grace. God, I know that I'm a sinner. God, I know that it's broken. Number two, God, I'm sorry. I know that I'm the one who broke it. I'm sorry that I broke it. I'm sorry that it's taken me this long. But God, I'm ready. God, I know. God, I'm sorry. God, I'm ready to receive your grace. God, I'm ready to be a part of your plan. God, I'm ready to be in your family. With all eyes closed, if you prayed that prayer for the first time, would you raise your hand? I'd love to give you a Bible for the first time. Some of my friends are going to give you a Bible. In it, there's a card that I'd love you right over here, right over here love you to fill out, and I'd love you to either drop it in a bucket or bring it down front. Don't leave it this room with it, please. We want to talk to you about your story. We want to talk to you about what God wants to do in your life. If you're a follower of Jesus, here's my prayer. My prayer is that God renews the joy of your salvation. Remind you of how big grace is. Remind you of the goodness of God's plans for your life. Remind you that you're a part of a family with a good father, a good father. God, we love you today. And I thank you that October 18th, 1994, you applied your grace and the blood of Jesus to my life. And you saved me. I thank you, God, that you've always had a plan to save me. And I thank you, God, that once you saved me, you 
had a plan for me to get to know you, for me to follow you. It hasn't always been easy. It's always been good. And God, I thank you for the family that I'm a part of. I thank you for my brothers and sisters, for spiritual fathers and mothers, for friendships that have been made thicker than blood. But most of that, I'm thankful that you're my father. I'm thankful that you love me. I'm thankful that you've forgiven me. I'm thankful that you're setting me free. I'm thankful, God, that you have a plan to bring to full fruition your grace in my life. And I'm thankful that one day I'll be with my family according to your plan, under your grace, worshiping you for all eternity. And so I pray, God, that your kingdom would come and that your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. I pray that you would grow this joy in our hearts and that you would invite it for those of us who have not yet received it. We love you today. We thank you and we pray these things in the name of Jesus and all God's people said, amen and amen.